0: Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan, and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana share their stories. In today's episode, I am delighted to be joined by Cedric Savarese, the founder and CEO of Form Assembly. Having had Form Assembly as a Talent Hub Talks podcast sponsor, it was awesome to sit down and hear more about the origin and evolution of the business. Cedric shares where the idea came from, how they identified Salesforce as a partner, and how that relationship has evolved over the years. Cedric also provides some insight into the current challenges that businesses are facing with data and what the differences are between data ownership and data stewardship. Finally, Cedric talks us through how he has approached retaining and attracting talent, as well as what excites him most about what is still to come from Form Assembly. I hope you enjoy the episode. Cedric, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having
0: me. No, it's absolutely our pleasure. And, and obviously, Form Assembly have been a sponsor of our podcast over the last couple of years. So it's really great to have you come on, spare your time and talk to me more about the business and the journey that you've been on. So what I'd really like to do to start off with is delve into the beginning of the story and um, I guess where the idea of Form Assembly came from.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm originally from France, as you can probably tell with my accent, but back in France, I worked in a, at a startup that was doing a lot of uh, consumer surveys. My background is in IT and engineering, and uh, we were doing a lot of consumer surveys. We were collecting uh, data about consuming habits, and uh, we had to crank out a lot of surveys, and I got into this uh, process of trying to build those surveys quickly and automating this process. And then I moved to the States. I worked at a university uh, for some time, and and in their IT and web team. And as part of my work there, I helped them also rebuild a student application for the school. So, you know, I got a lot of exposure to that. As a developer, uh, building forms is not really the fun stuff to do, but it's vital to to business user. It's something that is very important, collecting data to just be able to do the, the job that you're supposed to do, right? So that's how I got the idea. I started building something and then uh, took off uh, from there.
0: So was it just you? Is it the the typical startup story of someone in their um, spare bedroom initially building a product?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we even had a spare bedroom uh, at the time, so it was in the bedroom taking client calls. But um, yeah, I built a pot by myself in the beginning. It's a bootstrap story. So uh, in the first few years, it was just building a product and setting it and slowly, slowly uh, ramping up from there.
0: So what if you look back to those early days, obviously, I'm sure there were a huge amount of challenges with any startup and especially a product business like um, marketing, all of these things kind of come to mind. But for you, what was the, the biggest challenges you faced in the early days?
1: Yeah, so it was really um, just the constraints with the fact that we were bootstrapped. So we could only hire people when the revenue was making that possible. So for the longest time, we didn't have a marketing department or we didn't really have salespeople or anything like that. It was just a handful of engineers. And uh, I think the first really helpful hire that I did was a customer support person to take that load off of what I was doing at the time. At the time, I was doing Everything I was uh, doing support, doing sales uh, development and uh, even uh, even payroll, even running payroll. So the good old days. <laughs> well, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm glad we're past that. you know I don't know how repeat entrepreneurs do that because going through those early stages is painful. I'm glad to be where we're at now for sure
0: hundred oh, percent. And uh, did that come naturally to you? Like if you think about the, because obviously you were coming from that development background, right? So throwing yourself into sales and I guess marketing and HR, like were there areas that you particularly enjoyed or, or didn't think you would enjoy perhaps that you did find that you enjoyed or maybe struggled more with?
1: I mean, I certainly struggled with everything uh, way too much, right? At some point, you need to be able to rely on other people who, who know that better, right? So the fact that we were strive, the fact that I had to do a lot more by myself in the beginning and so on, uh, probably slowed down the growth of the company compared to uh, you know a traditionally venture back uh, business. You know, personally, I enjoy learning and uh, kind of stretching myself, getting a bit uh, outside of my comfort zone and and trying to understand all the various aspects of uh, running a business. So, you know, in some ways it helps me, right, understand how the business is operating and functioning. On the other hand, I, I try to do too much by myself early on,
0: right? Yeah, I think that's probably something that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into, right? So a lot of the audience, a lot of the people listening to this are coming from a Salesforce background. So they'll have heard of the product, they might have used it, and they they might have installed it for one of their customers or their current employer. But when you built the product, it wasn't, am I right in saying you weren't building for Salesforce specifically, that came, like that integration came further down the line. So when did it become obvious that that was the right play and a really good match and product fit?
1: Yeah, so very early, I think we've been a partner since 2008, right? So it's already a long partnership. And it came about, because a customer mentioned it to me, like I didn't know about Salesforce at the time, hadn't been part of you know the tools uh, that I was using. And they just mentioned it, they say, oh, it would be nice if your product could integrate with Salesforce. And I investigated and Salesforce really was, and they still do, they made it very easy for other vendors or their products to integrate with them. Right? You could get a developer account for free, you could uh, build an integration, and then you had that exposure through the marketplace, which for me was huge because I didn't have a marketing department or any marketing experience and so on. Right? So I was like, oh, that's great. I can be on the marketplace and the product can sell itself. Right? I don't need to worry too much about that. So that was very, very uh, helpful. So that's how we started. And, um, you know, uh, at the time, you could be on this program for free or you had to pay a small small fee to be part of that partnership. Since then, it has changed quite a bit, right? But uh, early on, it was very easy to, for us. And that's been fueling our growth uh, ever since, right? Most of our customers are integrated with Salesforce. Most of us find us because of our partnership with Salesforce and the range of our customers, the fact that we can work from nonprofit to Fortune 500 companies thanks to our Salesforce uh, partnership.
0: Have you ever gone back and spoken to that customer that, uh, that mentioned Salesforce originally and said, you know what, that was a great moment in our journey?
1: It's true. I should. Uh, we changed our email uh, provider since then, I think. So I'm not sure I could uh, even find that uh, email exchange. But yeah, that would be a good one to to go back to, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we still have customers from from that time period, right? Some of our oldest customers are, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I know, obviously, um, products need to evolve and continually, right, to keep up with uh, competitors and the demand in the market. You recently, or one of your more recent product releases was workflows. Yeah. What can you tell, because in the Salesforce world, we know what a workflow is from a Salesforce perspective, but from Form Assembly, what does a workflow do and what problem is it solving for customers?
1: So what we do, uh, especially with regard to Salesforce, is that we enable a data acquisition process, which is typically the beginning of some sort of workflow automation, right? You collect data, you, you get into Salesforce, and then something else happens, right? And we work for what we recognize is that we want this process to be easier for our customers to do within our product. So it's not just, oh, I'm collecting data, and then I'm going to set up some approval process in Salesforce, for instance. It's like, let's do it all in one place. And then when it's approved, it can still flow, flow into Salesforce, right? So that's the that's first thing. And then the other aspect is that data collection processes often involve more than, you know, one form or one person filling one form, right? If you think of a, a more sophisticated example is a student application, right? A student application, they may have the main application and then they may have supplemental forms uh, depending on eligibility. They may have, a, you know, housing request or financial aid request and that can be routed to different people, right? So those are the more sophisticated use cases that we cover with uh with our workflow and you're you're
0: operating in a space that is complex and ever-changing right the data world different countries different requirements different legislations you know it's complex and and things have probably and well not just probably they have definitely changed over the years since you built the the business initially to now and i'm sure there's changes every day week month year so how, how do you keep up with that amount of change in the the legislations and how challenging has that been
1: yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, since we started, uh, there's been uh, a lot more uh, regulations around data privacy that have come about. The GDPR in Europe uh, was uh, one of the biggest ones, if not the biggest one. There's been a few more in the U.S. Uh, since then. And it's definitely become a major concern for pretty much every customer that we talk to, whether in the U.S. or, or elsewhere. People see Data as uh, obviously an asset, right? The, uh, you need to, to collect data to power your business, right? But it's also a liability. There's a risk associated to collecting data. You're at risk from a privacy breach, data breach, and uh, being sued for it or, or having some sort of a business impact that you need to worry about, right? So, and I think people are more and more conscious about this liability aspect, right? You, you hear those horror stories about data breach and identity theft and, and scams and fraud and all the stuff that can happen when, when data is mishandled. So not only you uh, can become a target of fraudsters but then you can be a uh fine By government entities, and then you can use your customers or you can be sued by your customers, right? So there's uh, definitely a lot of things that people are worried about. And that's why we, uh, as a company, we we chose to invest a lot in security and compliance, right? We make it a big part of uh, how we operate as a business and the value that we provide to, to our customers, whether it's collecting certifications that are audited by third parties, whether it's the internal training and all the features that we put into the product we really try to do our best to provide some level of comfort to our customers on how their data is handled while it's in our care and also what else we can do to help them with meeting their not only their obligations with regard to you know the law but also meet the expectation of their customers right because now when you share data online you have different expectations right it used to be that People just could do just whatever they wanted with your data, right? They could resell it. And that's no longer the case, or at least uh, not as easy as it used to be.
0: Yeah, it's a a fascinating space. And I think it's ever evolving, right? So you can never kind of rest on on anything in this space. And we've seen recently in Australia, some large data issues with some of the biggest companies in Australia. And but it's not just a problem for big companies, right? And I think that's, that's something that me as a small business, I, I maybe don't give it as much attention as I should, because I think, well, I'm a small business, how's my data gonna, but it really is important, right? It's important to everyone. And I know there's, um, on your website, you talk about the difference between data ownership and data stewardship. Mm -hmm. So for listeners, can you kind of explain the differences and where that kind of stands?
1: Yeah, totally. So we, you know, we collect data on behalf of our customers. That data, so first of all, it's not our data, right? It's our customer data, but they themselves that data from a person, right? So if you fill out a form and share your information, first and foremost, this is your personal information. That's your data, right? If you think about it. The business that owns it, that collects it, we don't think that they own it in a sense that they can do whatever they want with it. They cannot just resell your, your personal information like that without meeting some requirements. So in some cases, it's legally... Uh, Enforced, right? Uh, with the GDPR in Europe or the CCPA in California and Australia, has their own uh, data privacy laws, where that puts an onus on the business to follow some some rules. Like at the very least, like disclosing why they are asking you to share your information, what they are planning to do with that information, right? And getting your permission, your consent on whatever it is that they're going to do. So this idea of data stewardship is to say, you no longer collect data and then own it to use as you see fit, you have a responsibility with the data, right? It's not your data, it's your customer's data, it's your employee's data, whoever that is. You have a responsibility to, to it, you have to take care of it, and you have to be a good steward of that data while it's in your care, And so there's a lot that goes into it, whether it's, you know, making sure that you minimize the amount of data that you're collecting, right, to only what you need, and you only keep it for as long as you need, making sure that you secure it, you store it in a way that's safe and secure, making sure that you get consent from people to use that information and so on, right? But that's the main difference between data stewardship and data ownership. So how
0: does a product like FormAssembly help a customer be a good steward of data?
1: Yeah, so there's a few things that we do in the product or as an organization to help our customers and to help ourselves be a good stewards of data. So part of it is through education, providing webinars and white papers on how they should be collecting information, what sort of disclosure they need to make, what sort of how to get proper consent from people. Part of it is product itself. How it can help secure information while it's being collected, while it transits, and and eventually flows into your information system, be it Salesforce or, or something else. There's features in product that can help with the privacy of the information. For so instance, if you collect sensitive information like a national ID number or a social security number, right? You you can mask that information. You can make sure that it's not doesn't transit over email. For instance, it's redacted when it's sent through email or it's not visible on screen if you're in a public space, for instance, right? So there's things like that 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 help protect the privacy of the data that is built into the product. And then the idea is that when you have a platform like Form Assembly to collect data for your organization, it improves the oversight for your own internal IT or security team or legal team, compliance teams, right? It improves oversight because they can see who's collecting data in the organization and you can make sure that they're doing it in the way that complies with your internal policies and obviously the law
0: yeah i mean i think it's really interesting because anyone can put a form on their website right like i could get a developer to build a form on my website but i wouldn't think of all of those things and i could be capturing data and, and doing like a, a web to lead within salesforce but i have no prior knowledge of all of the data landscape and the requirements are on me and the risk factors and using a product platform that you guys provide kind of takes care of all those issues for me as long as i'm working with the product and, and You know, collaborating with the teams internally at FormAssembly to get the right advice?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a big challenge for um, the CIOs, the CTOs in a large organization. It's very hard to keep track of who's doing what, because anybody can sign up and use SurveyMonkey or some other products out there to start collecting data. And it's getting harder and harder to do it properly and to do it right. The simple fact is that, you know, if you have an opt-in, like your typical newsletter, right? Where you get a name and email address and you ask someone to check a box to say, yes, I want to receive your newsletter, right? The simple fact that your checkbox should not be checked by default, for instance, is not something that people necessarily know about, but. If you get it wrong, you might get in trouble with regulators in Europe because that's against the GDPR regulation, right? So it's getting harder and harder to do it right. And for people whose primary responsibility is to protect the assets of the organization, like the data, it's a tough thing to do when you don't see what people are doing and when they're kind of going on their own.
0: Yeah, I, I'm just thinking now about like when I've bought products, and you know, you get to the end of the buy section, and it's like a lot of those are ticked. You know, like, oh, do you want to receive our newsletter and special offers and things like that? So yeah, it's interesting that a lot of companies do have that
1: by default. Right, and if you're a marketer, you want to have it by default because you're getting you get more people to check to,
0: oh, of course,
1: to basically enroll into it, right? There's a fine line between dark patterns, right? Those patterns are designed to really trick people into doing things that they probably wouldn't want to do if they really uh, thought about it. And so it's tempting to do as a, as a marketer or as a salesperson, but it's getting more. So not only can get you in trouble with regulators, but it's also uh, not what consumers come to expect uh, from you know trusted vendors and partners and businesses they do business with, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I obviously I'm a recruiter so I'm I'm interested in this topic as well because, you know, you operate in a very competitive market, the tech field over the last couple of years it's been crazy where there's been so much demand and, you know, competition for top talent. How have you approached that and how how do you kind of feel that you have I guess come up with ideas to retain staff as well and make sure that the growth is continued because you're not losing staff as as quickly as you're growing.
1: Yeah, so it's definitely challenging. You know, you have to do. Obviously, you have to keep up with benefits and and pay and compensation packages. There's nowhere nowhere around that. You have to make sure you build a culture where people want to be. You know, where they want to work. But it's not necessarily enough, right? People are going to have multiple options, and uh, they're going to move on with a career. And sometimes, if you want to grow your career, uh, the best way to do that sometimes is just to jump ship and go to a new place, right? That's the kind of a nature of thing. But we. Try try to, to invest in, in our team, invest in our talents with uh, professional development, for instance. Um, I think if you look at our support team, our customer success team, people who help our customers, we support our customers, they probably know more about Salesforce than most consultants or <laughs> Salesforce consultants because they, they kind of live in a day in, day out. And even though it's not our primary um, responsibility with regard to supporting our product, right? We support our product, but not the Salesforce implementation. It's not really uh, what we do. But nonetheless, they, they happen to know a lot, and we actually have uh, quite a few of them going through the Salesforce certification and, and being certified. So that's something that we do. That's something we celebrate internally when people get through those milestones. So yeah, I think um, best we can do is try to provide a place where people want to work and where they can continue to grow and uh, and professionally, right?
0: Yeah it's interesting uh, that you acknowledge sometimes people will leave and that's you know that's right for their career and that's great I think we see a lot of times you know when people do resign from jobs they get a lot of pressure put on them to stay mm-hmm. because it's beneficial for the company but you know it might not always be the right thing for them so as a CEO that acknowledges sometimes you know people will leave that's refreshing to hear but you're a remote first business as well and and I think that's not driven purely by covid right that's something that you've you've always been kind of passionate about
1: yeah, that's true. Just uh, quickly, on the on the people who live, like I like to think that they graduate from the company to move on to bigger and better things. At least, you know, when it's a success story, that's how you should feel, right? It's not always uh, fun to have to, to go find someone else, <laughs> but uh, it's a nature of it, right? You, you want what's best for people, and sometimes what's best is not for them to kind of stay and stagnate in there if you but yeah, we, we've been a, a remote organization for many, many years prior to COVID, which I think uh, really helped us, obviously, through COVID. really didn't have to change much in terms of how we operate as a business. And we, we kind of design our culture around being a remote organization, like the way we work, what we value, our core values, all design around this, this remote work culture. So it's worked for us. It served us well to be able to retain uh, and attract talents from all over the world, right? We're not tied to a specific geography. But it used to be a stronger uh, hiring benefit, right? Than now, since uh, COVID, a lot of the businesses uh, have moved to to remote or fully remote. I like to think that we still do it better than than most, but it's no longer uh, the competitive advantage.
0: Yeah, I think you still have the advantage that, you know, you've been doing it for a long time. So you know how to do it well, because there are elements of like acknowledgement, training, things like that, that, you know, maybe aren't done so well post COVID, because, you know, companies have had to adapt and maybe have overlooked some of those things. So it's not for everyone, right. But I'm sure we are seeing now, well, I'm definitely seeing in Australia, some companies that are looking for staff to come back into the office. So for you, that's probably an opportunity as well, because when people are now used to having the ability to work from home and if their company starts to ask them to come back you know they're going to look for companies that, that truly are remote and remote first
1: yeah i think for sure i think you could probably tell that the majority of people would rather stay remote stay working from home or at least have some flexibility we lost people who just even want to stay remote right we would rather go back to an uh, office environment than, you know i get it right it's not necessarily for everybody it does require you to have a bit of a Quiet place in, the, in your home where, where you can work. And there's some downside to being remote. Obviously, there's less FaceTime. It's harder to socialize. It's harder to communicate well with people. And so like you have to be aware of it and you have to work harder for to make it work in that sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's been interesting to hear the journey that you've been on and uh, obviously keeping up with um, requirements and and legislations and regulations and and all those things, because you've been running the business for a number of years. What still really excites you about what's to come from Form Assembly and and the, the journey that you're still to go on?
1: Yeah, I mean the company is doing better than ever. Uh, it's stronger and larger than ever. So there's always kind of the next ambitious uh, milestone or project or feature to roll out. But I think what really keeps me excited about the, the company is just seeing what our customers do with our product, the type of customers we're able to serve, and the, the type of use cases that they have is just fascinating to me. Through form assembly, we facilitate things like signing up for uh, one of the biggest uh, races in the world, like the Boston Marathon, or you can. And enroll into a school, or you can file a, a complaint to a city, uh, to one of the largest cities in the world. You can get benefits from nonprofits, right? And a lot of those activities that people do through uh, sign up for or enroll into are things that can be life changing, right? That can be very important events in, in their lifetime. And just the fact that we are there to facilitate that experience is, I find that really rewarding. So that's really what keeps me excited about the job.
0: Yeah, it must be incredible when you yourself fill out a form and you know that it's your product that's that's helping that customer collect that data.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I didn't know, but my, uh, my son goes to a school that uses our product and I didn't realize it until uh, we actually got to fill out a form at some point, yeah.
0: Well, look, thank you so much for, for both today and also the support with the podcast over the years. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, yeah, really, really interesting to hear the story and, and looking forward to seeing the continued growth and, and journey that Form Assembly goes on.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Ben. That was a pleasure. Thank you.
0: So that's a wrap for this week's episode and thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat and if you did, please make sure you have subscribed for future episodes that are coming through. I would also be very grateful if you would consider leaving a review on your chosen podcast platform as five-star reviews will help us to reach more trailblazers from across the world. I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon and thanks again.